What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Alright, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, welcome to those of you online. I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church here in Jackson, Missouri. And once again, I want to invite you, if you're tuning online and you're able to get out, come and join us next time. See what God's actually doing. Be a part of what God's doing in Jackson, Missouri. Thanks to the rest of you that are here this morning. We're going to be continuing our series called The Perfect Gift. And just kind of a quick review of last week. We talked about Abraham. We talked about the life of Abraham. We talked about the call of Abraham. We got into the fact that it's up to us to make a move. And if Abraham had, hes- had hesitated and not went when God had told him to go, then the potential for the Savior being born may not have been there. So that is the reason we've been taking a look through this series at people that were involved with the Messiah coming to earth, which is where we'll get to here in just a couple of weeks. But today we're going to be taking a look at the life of David. And once again, David is one of those figures in Scripture that there is so much in Scripture about him. There's no way we're going to be able to cover his entire life. So what I want to do is just hit on a few key points out of his life and talk about our next topic, which is going to be ministry. Which we're going to move on here in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. We're going to go ahead and read our key passage. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. You are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this time together in your presence, God. I just ask right now, God, that you just begin to speak your words through me, Lord. Don't let them be my own. May your word come across this microphone to those listening, whether they're here or online, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And remember last week, I kind of asked a question, and it's not answered in Scripture, but about the serpent. So was the serpent actually a deceptive creature from the beginning anyway? Or what's going on? Because even if the devil possessed the serpent and came to Eve, the serpent is the one that got punished. It wasn't like God looked at the devil directly and said, hey... This is what I'm going to do. He punished the serpent. So, but actually he was referring to the devil when we talked to verse 15. And he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. In verse 15, remember we've talked about is the first prophecy of the Messiah in scripture. And it says, and I will put enmity or ill will or hard feelings or that quarrelsome between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And we talked a little bit about last week that the bruising of the heel is talking about is Jesus did actually have to die. He had to die to make that sacrifice so that we would be able to have a chance at eternal life. But at the end of all that, even when the devil, just when the devil thought he had won, he crushed his head, came back from the dead, and gave us all a chance at eternal life. 
The other scripture we've taken a look at here over the last couple of weeks is our great commandment, and that is found in Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there with me real quick. Matthew chapter 22, or you can just look at the screen. And we're starting in verse 36, is the great commandment. And remember we talked about the fact that we're going to talk about the great commandment the first couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about the great commission the last few weeks of this series. Verse 36 there in Matthew 22 says, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? This is a Pharisee questioning Jesus. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Now, last week we took a look at that first part there where it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we talked about worship last week because that is describing worship. That's that relationship with God. That's how we become closer. That's how we build that relationship. This week we're going to be talking about ministry. So I kind of want to land there in the second half of this verse, in verse 39, where it says, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as Yourself, And we've talked before here at Next Level Freedom Church, or maybe you caught it online, about what the actual definition of ministry is. Ministry is simply serving. That's all it is. A minister is a servant. I know this society adapts it as a minister is that preacher that gets up, you know, kind of preaches from the stage, and he sits down. But that's not it. That's not it at all. Ministry is serving. So we're serving yesterday. We looked at the video yesterday. Those of you who helped with Feed My Starving Children yesterday, that's ministry. That's partaking in God's ministry. We're helping feed those starving kids around the world. Thank you. If anybody that helped us yesterday, thank you for helping us too. That was a blessing to be able to bless other kids yesterday. But that is ministry. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And that's why we describe that as ministry. So as we key in on David's story here today, once again, can't hit the whole thing. But let's focus on some of the key points of ministry that we see in David's life. Starting in 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verses 11 through 13 says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Because what's happened here is God has taken his spirit from Saul. He said, I'm no longer going to let Saul be the king. And he tells Samuel, I need you to go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I got a kid there that I'm wanting to make the next king. And I need you to go and I need you to anoint him with oil because he's my next choice. So what's happened is Samuel has lined up all the brothers. But see, dad's kind of forgotten about David. He's out in the field. He's tending the sheep. So what happened is David had six brothers, and he lined them up. And he went down all the way through the line. So what's happened here in the first part where we're starting is Samuel's asking him, are all the young men here? And Jesse looks at him and says, well, there remains the youngest. How do you like that? So it looks like a couple of things to me here. Either David was totally forgotten. Anybody ever been forgotten? By somebody, maybe you feel like they, they forgot all about you. Either he's forgotten or dad thought, you know what? He's too young. He can't get involved in this. He's not going to be the king. So I'm going to leave him in the field. I'm not really sure. Scripture doesn't go into details on that. But what's happened is Jesse said, well, there's the youngest. And there he is. He's over there keeping the sheep. And then coming back there, he says, and Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here. Now we're going to talk a little bit about a second here in just a second about the brothers and what they got to be thinking at this point. Verse 12 says, So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him 
in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So what's happened here is little brother, the youngest, who's been tending sheep, you know, that's the lowliest job you could have back in that day. He's out there with the sheep, and he goes and gets him, and he brings him in. So now, can you imagine? Y'all ever had sibling rivalry? I don't know how many of y'all have brothers and sisters. Can you imagine being the youngest? Because rightfully, the oldest should have had the right, right, to be the first pick for the throne. And he looked the best, according to what Scripture tells us, when Samuel was looking, oh, this has got to be the guy. But God says no, and he rejected all of them. Got down to David, and now it says he anointed him with oil in the midst of his brothers. Can you imagine from that day forward? Little brother probably got picked on a little bit. Well, who do you think you are? Anybody ever had anybody deal with you like that? Not necessarily a sibling, but they look at you. Who do you think you are thinking you can do this? But what are you thinking? But God anointed David. So here's what I want to start with. Our first point there is ministry starts small. If you grab the note sheet from the back, ministry starts small. Let's start with this loud thing. I mean, we look nowadays, we look at guys like T.D. Jakes and all these big time speakers that are out there. And we're like, wow, they just kind of rose on the scene out of nowhere. I guarantee you there wasn't a nowhere. All the years before they came onto the scene, God was working. Just like he was working David here. David's tending sheep. We said it's the lowliest job you can do. But guess what? While David's out there tending the sheep, he's practicing. He's gotten really good with the swing. He got really good with that harp, or one pastor I heard say, a guitar. He got really good with that harp and guitar. He's been practicing. He's been using what he's got just while he's out there. So he's been preparing himself to be a king. So really, when David got anointed, he only had two things going for him. He was a good guitarist, and he knew how to sling a sling like nobody's business. So, so what God says is when it starts small, you've got to take what you got right now and begin to work with it. Now, trust me, it takes time to for God to make you, to mold you, to get you to the point where you're ready to come on the scene and say, ta-da, here I am. Because if you jump on the scene right away, chances are you're going to fall flat on your face because you have got to have that preparation time. I know we hate hearing that as humans. We feel like we should be able to just come right to the top, especially in this generation. They get out of college, they come in and say, ta-da, I'm here, I got my degree. They think they should be at the top. But remember weeks ago when we was talking, I think it was in our journey series, you got to work your way up. Work your way up from the bottom. And the reason we say that is because if you don't know what the bottom people are going through, how are you going to help them when you're leading them? See, that's kind of like, I'm the leader, but uh, I don't have any idea. Anybody ever had a boss like that or somebody like that at work that they'll tell you what to do, they'll tell you exactly what needs done, they think, but they don't work on the floor, they've never done anything at that point, so they have no idea what it takes. But you're sitting there like, what? We can't do that because it makes sense to you. You know the machines. You know whatever it is you're doing. So God says it starts small. You've got to take what you got and begin to work and begin to build. Now, Philippians 2, 4, and 7 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be with you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 says, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming into the likeness of men. That's why we celebrate Christmas. 
Jesus left his throne. He already was the king. He didn't have to do anything, but he left. He came here because God wanted a relationship with us. He created human beings to have a relationship. And the only way we can have that relationship, he wants us to choose to have that relationship, not just be programmed to. So that's why he still gives you that thing called free will, where you get to decide what are you going to do. So he comes. So basically say even Jesus himself came as a servant. If anybody deserved to come at the top, it was him. But he chose to come down to the lowliest of lowlies. He was born in a manger. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And he came to this world. 1 Samuel 16, moving on, verses 17 and 18 says, and this is, takes place after the anointing. David's been anointed. How many of y'all know that when David got anointed, he was the king? At that point, God made him king of Israel. But what did David do? After that anointing, he went back to tending sheep. So this gets back to that whole working your way up thing. God still had more he needed to do with David. Now, it's believed he was around 15 when he was anointed with that oil. And later on here, it, can, it comes even more because Saul is looking. What has happened is God has sent a spirit on Saul that puts him in a horrible mood. And he can't deal with it until he gets David to come and play the harp for him. Now, check this out. Verse 17 and 18 says, so Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. See, this was suggested by his servants. Why don't you find somebody who can play you some music and soothe your spirit? <clears throat> and verse 18 says, Then one of the servants answered and said, Now check this out. Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful in the playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord... Is with him. This is the he was getting recommended. Saul didn't know who David was at this point. He's getting recommended by somebody else. So the point number two in your notes: ministry leads to opportunity. When you're serving, when you're doing what it is God has told you to do in the moment, it's going to lead you to other opportunities that are going to launch you on into your next level, launch you to your next place where God is wanting you to be. First Peter four ten says, "As each one of you has received a gift." Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So see, how many, too many of us, too many times, want to take those gifts God has given us and kind of keep them to ourselves. But God says, no, I want you to share that gift. I want you to use it to bless others, to help lift my kingdom. Peter said, as you receive the gift, minister to one another as good stewards in a manifold grace of God. So God has given each of you gifts. We say this all the time. If you're still breathing, God has still got a purpose for your life. He's got a reason that he's got you here, and he's waiting on you to get in position. We went over that a lot more last week. We're not going to get back into that. He's waiting for you to get into position so that he can use you to launch you out to the next level where you need to be. Now, those levels may not be as big a step as you're hoping at first. They take small steps, but you get to that point, and then one day you just kind of look back and say, look what God's done. Look where I'm at. So we need to be using those gifts or ministering. That's what it has to do with ministry. Ministry is serving. Using the gifts that God has given us to bless others. 1 Samuel 16, we're jumping on down now. This is after David has come. He's played for Saul. And now he's, Saul liked him. And the spirit left Saul when David started playing. So verses 19 to 23 say, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, 
and sent them by his son, David, to Saul. So you see, anytime you wanted to approach the king, you better be bringing a gift. Don't just come and show up in the throne room. The king's expecting a gift back in that day. <clears throat> your gift here, starting last week, is worship. You've got nothing else to offer, so you offer yourself to God, the ultimate king. Moving on there. It says, in verse 21, So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. That means he went before him and carried the armor to battle. So God, Saul said, I love you so much. I'll put you on the front line. You can risk your life for me, right? But still, there's that favor. There's that opportunity coming. See, Saul doesn't necessarily know that David's been anointed to be the next king just yet. But verse 22 says, Then Saul said to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So the third thing in your notes, ministry leads to favor. What did the king say? Because David was willing to leave the sheep, come to play for the king. Now, it appears, as the way it's talking here is, he would go back home when he was done. And he would come back whenever Saul needed him. So then Saul said, hey, go ahead and send him in here. He's found favor in my sight. So because he was serving, doing what he could, play the harp, for Saul, he found favor in Saul's eyes to see how it kind of builds on it. So you start with something small. You get an opportunity. You take the opportunity. You still continue to exercise ministry. Next thing you know, you're finding favor. Because how many of y'all know it just takes a moment? You meet the right person. One moment can change your entire life forever. So if David hadn't been in the right place at the right time, he wouldn't have been able to launch out like he did. But so 1 Peter 4.11 is the next verse, which is what we read a second ago. It says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's saying here, if you're going to speak, do it like you're speaking for the oracles of God. If you're going to minister, do it as you're given. Use the ability God has given you to the best of your ability and do that because in the end, it's not really about you. It's about God getting the glory through what you're doing. But that also leads to that favor of God because you're willing to listen, be obedient. Remember, we talked, I believe it was last week or the week before, we talked about humility and the definition is, you know, just got to accept the perspective of who you are, who God has called you to do, to be. And once you do that, then you begin to find favor in God's eyes. Now, we skipped over the story of David and Goliath. I know some of you thought I was going there, but we're not today. But what has happened now, we're fast forwarding some years because we're going to jump to 1 Samuel 22. David is on the run for his life from Saul. The same guy who he had found favor in his eyes. It's amazing how quick people will turn on you when things don't look the way they like it to look. See, I was listening to one pastor this week, my pastor, I guess, that said that, you know, we're okay when we're bringing somebody else in and we're, we're bringing in maybe nobody else has accepted them, kind of like Barnabas and Paul or Saul. He brought him in, he accepted him, he let the other Christians know it's going to be fine. And people nowadays, we're okay. And even back then, we're okay with helping you out and lifting you up. But if you ever pass us up, 
There's this thing called pride that begins to well out. Say, see, the example he used was, next thing you know, you look outside, and that person's pulling up in a brand new Lexus or something like that, and he's pulling up and, who do you think he is? I'm the one that gave him an opportunity. I'm the one that gave him a shot. Who does he think he is? But see, God uses those opportunities. We can't let that spirit happen because what we're doing is we're building the next generation. Remember, we said it's not really about us. It's about God getting glory through what is happening. So verse 22, or chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, David's on a run for his life. I want you to watch what happens here real quick with David. It says, David, therefore, now remember, it's been some years, so it's not been real quick, but it's been some years. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his fathers heard of it, they went down there to him. Verse 2. Now check this out. See if this sounds like anybody you know. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Can I tell you, we hear him written this way here. We're not going to go to the passage. But later in Scripture, these men that we're talking about that were in debt, they're beaten, they're busted, they're broken, they're coming to David just because they got hope, I guess. They're seeing something in David. They're in debt. They're in distress. They're discontented. They come to David. Because they started following David, remember David's already been anointed. So he took captain over them. And later in scripture, when you read about these men following David, they become not known as broke, busted, beat up. They become known as David's mighty men of valor. Because what happened is God made them and he molded them and he used David's anointing to reach these men. And because they were willing to Get underneath his leadership. See, these weren't men that were trying to come out and be on top right away. They became willing to come under his leadership and follow him. They it totally changed their lives. But point number four in your notes is, notes is ministry leads to leadership. Now check this out. David wasn't expecting them. He's on the run for his life. He comes to the cave with Dullam. His, his father and his brothers find out he's there. But then all of a sudden, all these other people, 400 of them, gather around him. They've got issues. They've got trouble. They're coming to David hoping to seek some hope. So now he's gotten to this point where he's already developing some leadership. And people are looking to him. So we notice that once that favor was found, God already had favor on David. Remember, he was anointed. That he was getting ready for leadership. So these men were kind of this trial stage. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says... And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You've heard that verse over and over. We say it over and over here. But can I say that the reason the men there in verse 11 become leaders is because they started somewhere and they worked their way up. They began to build. And then God eventually got them to the point of leadership. That's how they reached those titles of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's not even about the title. Can I be real with you? It's really just about doing what God said for you to do. Check it out. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 40 years. And we're not going to get to the screw up with Bathsheba today. But before that all went down, God looked down at David. And there's a promise I want you to notice here. See, we're trying to tie this back to Christmas, right? So because David 
went through these stages. Well, remember, started small, got an opportunity, found favor, was anointed to leadership. Now check it out. We're jumping all the way over to 2 Samuel. David is already king at this point. Saul has died off. His sons have died off. David is the king. Verses 8 to 16. I want you to check out what God promises him. And it's only because if you read about David's life, he was a messed up individual. He had some points in his life where he messed up. But he had favor with God because the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. He was willing to do what God told him to do. And God makes a promise to David. Now, here's a cool thing to catch. Abraham, remember we talked about him last week, had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a son named Judah, which had 11 brothers. There was 12 tribes. David is in the line of Judah, the bloodline. It's been years since that point. But David is in the bloodline of Judah. Now, check it out. 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16 says, Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following sheep. I mean, y'all get so ticked off when you get asked to do something small. Wise leaders will tell you, you never get too big for the small stuff. If there's a piece of trash on the floor, guess what? You're perfectly capable of bending over and picking that piece of trash up. That's just one example. But you never get too big for the small stuff. Now check it out. Moving on, verse... Uh, Continuing there. It says, Therefore David does... I'm jumping around. Hang on. Let me just start it again. 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16. It says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold and from the following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. He's the king. Verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name. Like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Verse 11. Since the time that I commanded judges. He's talking about the book of judges. Back then there was a time when there was no king in Israel and there were just judges that would arise and deliver his people. To be over my people Israel, I have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Here's where we're getting to a promise. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Verse 16 says, now check this out. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established Forever. That's another prophecy. He's talking about the Messiah, the one that's to come. Now, you can read that in two perspectives, because at this point, David's like, you know, God's been running around in tents. We've had him do that. We need to build him a house. Well, God says, you're not going to build that house. He says, your son's going to build the house. Now, in one perspective, he's talking about Solomon. Solomon does build a temple to God. 
But in the other perspective, he's talking about a kingdom that will not perish, a kingdom that will not lose his mercy. He won't take his anointing from him. He's referring to the Messiah. He's referring to the one who's going to come. He's going to build a kingdom. He's going to build his throne. He's going to be his son. And God will be his father. Y'all remember Jesus referring to himself as the son of God? See, how many of y'all have ever seen this connect? This is the connect where, deep, where David gets involved in this prophecy for the Messiah. So point number five, real quick, we're getting ready to wrap this thing up. says, ministry leads to destiny. When David died and laid down with his father's God, said, I'm going to make you a promise. Your kingdom will not stray. I'm going to send someone who is going to take that throne forever. Hebrews 11, 32 and 34 says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Sorry, Jephthah. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33 says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens or the outsiders. There. He's talking, now David was mentioned there in Hebrews 11. He was just one of them mentioned. The other ones were other people that you read about in your Old Testament. Gideon was one of the judges. Samson was one of the judges. They're judges and people that have come through the years. And he says, he's basically saying here, I don't have time to talk about all this, but all of these men by faith obtained a promise. Now, Hebrews 11, 39 to 40 says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. What? We talked a little bit about it last week. Verse 40 says, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What he's talking about there? The Savior. Having obtained a good testimony. In other words, they were told about it, but they never saw it. They're just like Abraham. Abraham looked to that day, but he never saw it. He died. David looked to that day. God made him a promise. He never saw it, but he, he had enough faith to believe that God's going to make this thing happen. And they look, and all of a sudden, then it says, Verse 40 explained to you in layman's terms, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He's talking about we have heard about the Messiah. The Messiah has come. It's in the past to us. We've never, not necessarily seen it, but it's already come. So he's made this perfect through us. Or he's talking about through our generation seeing that Messiah come to pass. Verse Corinthians 12, 4 and 7. We're getting ready to wrap this thing up. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Once again, God has given you something. You've all got gifts. Each of you got your own individual gifts. We know some of them. We know Linda plays the keys. We know we got some guitar players in the house. We know some of them. But God has given you, some of you, many more than just one gift. And he's expecting you to use those gifts. Because it's all different gifts, but it's the same spirit that is controlling those gifts. And the reason he needs you to get on board is because he can use all those gifts working together to actually make a difference in this world. John 13, 35, and I'm going to close. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's that talking about? 
ministry. He's talking about serving. Remember, when, well, if you've been through Grove Track here, if you haven't, this may be strange news for you. But we talk about that the people are the ministers. They're the ones serving God there. And then the pastors or the leaders in the church are the administrators. We're there to help you, to encourage you. We're going to be serving right alongside of you. Don't get me wrong. But we're there if you need something. We can help you out. We can kind of direct you. Remember we talked about pastors, prophets, apostles, all of that. They were there for the edifying of the body. So they're there to encourage you. So the, the people are the ministers. Ministry doesn't take place just here. Now I'm not saying it can't happen here. But it takes place out there. Ministry is like what we talked about earlier, what we saw yesterday when we went to Speed My Starving Kids. And I know some of you, it was a great time. If those of you missed it, come in April. We're going to do it again. We're going to have a fun. But we're hoping to get more involved in those type of things here at Next Level Freedom Church. It's not just Feed My Starving Children. We would like to be doing something like that at least once a month. So we're out in the community. We're serving. We're becoming more and more involved because it's about that. That's what it's about. It's about getting outside of these four walls of the church and making a difference. Y'all can stand here. We're getting ready to dismiss. Linda, you can come and play. Do something softly. I want to talk to you for just a second. Today we talked about a lot of things. I tried to sum it up quick, so I didn't want to drag too far on too many points. But there's so much more there. If you want to read about David, read First and Second Samuel. There's a lot there about David. Go read about it. If you want to know more about his story, I encourage you. If that's something you're interested in, go ahead and check it out. Or whatever it is you're interested in, find a topic, get into your work, begin reading your Bible, whatever it is, start there because that's what's going to show you other things that are going to help you as you grow in your relationship with Christ. If you're out there looking at me this morning, and we haven't yet got to the birth of the Savior, but we've been promised two men in the Old Testament, I'm sending someone, way back in Genesis 3.15, our main scripture, he's going to crush your head, you will hurt his heel, that's it. But he's going to crush your head. In other words, God says, I'm sending a redemption plan. And he used men like Abraham last week who were willing to step out and accept the call that God had for their life. And just willing to accept on faith that God was going to use whatever it was he was up to to make a difference. Today we talked about David. He started as a shepherd boy. He was out there tending the sheep, one of the lowest jobs you can get back in that day. But you know what? He was in the right place at the right time doing what God had told him to do. The only way you're ever going to be able to step out and become a part of what God is doing, wanting to do in your life, is if you're willing to step out. Kind of like Peter in the New Testament, he stepped out of the boat and began walking on water. We always talk about he took his eyes off Jesus and began to see, but you know what? He's the only person other than Jesus that can write on his resume, I walked on water. He did it. And when you begin to sink, make sure you put your eyes on Jesus. That's a whole other sermon. But if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I never want to leave that opportunity out. So, the Bible talks about repenting, which means make a whole 180 with your life. Totally turn and go a different direction. You've been going this way, God says, I need you to go back this way. We're going to do something with your life. You want, you've been thinking in your spirit, maybe, I want to make a difference. What can I do? Well, it starts with salvation. If you've never been saved, you say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death, that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. 
Congratulations. Welcome to the family. You're now a child of God. I want to know about it. Go to our contact page at nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. Send me a contact. Hey, Trent, I accepted Christ. I want to know what I need to do next. I'm going to tell you your next step now. Your next step is baptism. You've been saved. It's time to get baptized. If you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, you need to be baptized. If you've been saved and baptized and you're looking for the next step there, the next step is joining a fellowship, becoming a part of something bigger than you. If you're here at Next Level Freedom Church, that is growth track. We go through growth track classes. We teach you more about your word, more about how to pray. There's three classes. The first two are about an hour and a half. The last one's about a half an hour. And we basically talk about the vision that we have here at Next Level Freedom Church. We talk about the basics of Christianity in the first one. second one, we go a little deeper. How do I get that prayer time better? How do I learn to study the Bible better? We give you that type of stuff. And in the third class, we talk about what we talked about today, which is ministry, which is serving, which is becoming a part of the house. And not only serving in the house, but serving outside the house. If you tune in online, I want to thank you for tuning in. Next week, we're going to be talking about Elizabeth. We're talking about, so we're jumping to the New Testament. We're going to be talking about Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother. We're going to talk about her next week. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. I'll see you.